Did the COVID-19 pandemic heal the healthcare supply chain? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. If it's true that adversity is the catalyst for positive action, then that's got to be the case in the healthcare supply chain, which suffered a virtual meltdown with the coming of COVID-19. The crisis uncovered some long-standing weaknesses in the way that hospitals, physicians, and other healthcare providers acquire supplies, not the least of which was over-reliance on sourcing from China and other distant locations. Today I'm speaking with David Hargraves, Senior Vice President of Supply Chain with Premier, a national supply chain and technology company that advises more than 4,400 health systems and 225,000 other providers with the goal of building resilience into the global supply chain network. He'll tell us what steps the industry is taking in response to the disruptions of the past three years, including a partial shift to domestic purchasing and diversification of the supply base. The industry is in better shape today, he says, but still has a long way to go before achieving the goal of a truly resilient and reliable supply chain. Here is my conversation with David Hargraves. David Hargraves, welcome to the show. Bob, thanks very much for having me. I appreciate this opportunity. David, what have you learned over recent years about healthcare supply chains in light of all that's happened? We don't even need to really tell our audience what that is. I'm sure they know. But what lessons have you learned that might affect the way that you obtain critical supplies or advise others to do so? Well, Bob, if there's any good news from the last three years, it's that now the nation understands the importance of healthcare supply chain and honestly, what it is. I don't know that it was common conversation over the dinner table for most folks prior to the pandemic. I know most people are familiar with it, but I would just want to give you an idea. When you think about healthcare providers, the folks in the communities that we all go to to receive our healthcare needs, just to take a quick look at what they've been through over the last three years, obviously we had the pandemic itself in 2019. What that led to, though, was a massive sudden increase in global demand all around the world. Everybody was scrambling for some of the same essential items, the PPE, the masks and the gowns and the gloves. That led to acute shortages. Products were in shortages all across the world. Then the COVID impacted the labor, and it's really important. And you had labor shortages then, shortages of the healthcare providers, shortages of the workers in the factory, logistics congestion. Remember the images of all the ships off the port in Long Beach in California? Sure. And then more recently, if you look just maybe the last 18 months, Bob, You've had all the news on inflation, labor inflation, and then supply inflation, raw material inflation, and logistics inflation. And by the way, just about one year to the day now, you had the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which led to inflation in our food products and things like that. So if you think of the healthcare supply chain, supply chain in general, it's really been a challenge over the last three years, to say the least. And if I search hard for something to be really appreciative of during that time period, it is shining the light on our situation in healthcare supply chain 
this really essential service and how fragile the supply chain itself is. You say it, fragile. I wonder the degree to which it actually revealed weaknesses that were there all along in the supply chain, but only became evident in a time of such crisis. I think that's valid. I do. One thing I caution is, again, for folks who aren't insiders, haven't been doing this for 20 plus years, like I and my colleagues have, I don't want to give the impression that healthcare supply chain was asleep at the wheel, that we weren't aware of risks that existed. This was a series of unpredictable and unfortunate events that all happened in very short order. And there was never going to be the manufacturing capacity needed to meet that global demand. But what it did reveal, to your point, is an over-dependence on certain regions of the world for all supply chains. As we are forced and tasked with taking costs out of our organizations year after year, for a lot of industries, that's led to an over-reliance. Last night, State of the Union, the president addressed the work he's doing in semiconductors, where the U.S. used to produce 40% of them, today produces 10%, and at least the government's position of an over-reliance on on China and some other countries for it. Same thing happened in healthcare. Over 80% of the personal protective equipment, the masks and gowns and gloves, things that are needed to keep the caregivers safe from the affected patients, you know, 80% of that was all produced in China, in India, in Malaysia. And so there was an over-reliance there for a cost basis that that portion definitely was something that was revealed in the early stages of the pandemic. Changes in supply chains that would address that problem don't happen overnight. Here we are three years past the beginning of the pandemic. Have we seen any real changes in sourcing in response to that realization of over-reliance on China, or is that still something yet to be achieved? Yeah, there are definitely have been good and positive change, both in how the practitioners themselves are sourcing the product and their strategies, but also in some of the work that the government's done. And and we're happy that our advocacy efforts have helped there. To your point, though, you don't immediately onshore a factory from a a foreign country like Malaysia or China and bring it here to the United States overnight. That takes some time. And and honestly, in past issues, past pandemics and endemics we've had, think, if you remember, the bird flu that existed before, or SARS. If you remember, you've had scares like that before. And unfortunately, some of my colleagues in supply chain, this is broadly not healthcare. You know, I have short memories for it. It was an issue at the time. You dealt with the shortage and you revert back to your practices. One of the things I'm, I'm really proud that Premier and our members did was say, listen, our members came to us and said, guys, we can't have this again. This needs to be a never event. I need to never be at risk like I was before. And so one of the things we were able to do is corral our members' demand into long-term agreements, and in a couple situations, uh, stand up new legal entities and new factories here in the United States for critical supplies, but by having the members own equity in that new entity, in the production of those goods. There's a lot of supplies, thousands of supplies used by healthcare, but there are a few that are most critical to operations and are that primary barrier protection between the caregiver and patient. And so for those, we did that. And we said, listen, we, we can't have short memories. We need to permanently change it. That's going to require investment. But really, the investment can come if you're committed in the long term to take a portion of your portfolio and dedicate that portion to a domestic supplier. Or better said, a nearshore supplier. It doesn't always have to be in the U.S., could be in North America, though, as diversified from Asia. And with those two things, commitment and the corresponding investment over a long period of time, that's the approach that we took early on in the pandemic to solving some of the issues with PPE shortages and drug shortages. 
And again, the government's trying to do it now with semiconductors, and I very much hope they're successful. Our experience says but you've got to have those three things, long-term commitment and then the funding to do so. So that's definitely a permanent change and I think a shift going forward. Well, yeah. interesting. Okay, so if not China, you're saying either nearshoring or onshoring. I mean, is the alternative exclusively something in this hemisphere or might we see suppliers going to other parts of Asia or Europe? Is there the possibility that they might just shift to other distant locations or is the distance the problem in addition to the whole issue of China specifically and really the alternative needs to be just close to home one way or another. I appreciate the, the opportunity, Bob, to address that. A lot of folks today talk about domestic sourcing or nearshoring. What is important most often is geographic diversification. If you can have mm -hmm. a supplier who's got operations in four different countries and different regions of the world, that diversification up, one doesn't have to be in the United States. And so I do like to draw that distinction between the domestic sourcing and nearshoring. And really what needs to happen is geographic diversification. Now, to your question about China and Asia, there's been a lot of movement of manufacturing out of China, countries that have benefited from that primarily, India, Malaysia, and Vietnam. I've been to all those countries, and we've investigated that work, and, and we are seeing that transition. But to your point on logistics, well, they all still have to come across the ocean to get here. So also having manufacturing in Latin America, Central America, Mexico, here in the United States is important too. So then you have at least another opportunity if you have issues with the global ocean transportation, you've got another option. But there's also diversification in the way that we source the products. Mm -hmm. If you source the exact same way and simply moved your business from China and made it here in the North America, you really have the exact same problems, just with a different zip code. <laughs> what needs to be done there is also to take a look at your supplies overall, figure out those that are most critical to operations and don't have strong alternatives, and then inside there ensure that you've got a healthy market both in the suppliers you use and then in the manufacturing locations for those suppliers. And that's required a big shift in technology and in some of the transparency to data, which is another sort of permanent change if you look pre-pandemic to post-pandemic. A lot of work's been done there, some with the government, a lot with us, a lot with individual healthcare providers to, to oh, get yeah. better visibility into your supplier's supply chain. Well, visibility is the whole ballgame in supply chains generally, but what kind of new technology is being brought to bear on the healthcare supply chain that is going to enable some of these changes and ensure that level of visibility? Excellent question. So the tech's gone in a couple of different ways. The most basic of it, and one that has existed into other areas, is again, that understanding the supplier's supply chain, not just who they use for their contract manufacturing, where it's done there. But where are the key supplies they have that are sole sourced or dual sourced? And then what's the upstream effect of that? So that's work that's been done. Really, that is doing at the level it has is newer to healthcare supply chain, long established in other areas. The more sort of exciting one, though, is this is in that ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure sort of thought, is the use of advanced technologies like the AI and the machine learning to predict when a shortage might be coming. Even in some cases, we've been able to show it before the manufacturer themselves know it. Hmm. So what do I mean by that? We are able to take feeds of all the members' usage, but that's, of course, historic. But then also take a look at the orders that they've placed, the delivery lead times they're getting, and taking a look on a national level, where are we seeing changes in demand pattern? Where are we seeing lengthening of lead times? And by looking and 
applying some of the AI to that, we've been able then to come up with sort of a confidence interval, a number that says, hey, there is a 27% chance that we're about to have a shortage in this category of spend. Like with any good data system, that then just alerts the human. We can get on the phone with our members, get on the phone with the suppliers, show them what we can see in that information and try to verify whether that is an issue or not. And so that has been one that we've developed that sort of machine learning plus clinical expertise and the human intelligence to get out in front of it. If you can't prevent it, you can at least better prepare for that shortage. If you can even get just a week or two heads up before it becomes widely known. Is that the kind of lead time? I mean, based on the sophistication of the uh, machine learning and AI systems today, more so than, let's say, just three or four years ago, back in 2019, if we'd had today's systems back then, they would have not been able to predict the COVID-19 pandemic any more than anybody, any humans did. So so is it more a question of agility when you do detect something happening as opposed to forecasting something that really is rather unforecastable? You bring up a good point. When you have a sudden disaster, natural or man-made, pandemic, unfortunately, the terrible earthquake that just occurred over in Syria and Turkey, when you have those sudden events, there's no technology that could have really helped you predict that two weeks at time. One more close in healthcare supply chain, if there was a product recall that happened, had a manufacturing issue, they had to go back. You can't do those. But the fact is, the shortages, I don't know, are widely known across the industry how many shortages exist at any point in time in supply chains. So if I just give you an idea, every day, a health system is managing an active shortage of somewhere between 700 up to 1,500 different medical supplies and two to 300 drugs. Wow. It takes a long time. It's a lot. And it's, it's, a lot of folks don't know that. And then the average length of those shortages is about seven weeks. So you have a high number of short-term duration shortages. But every one of those, when you're at that healthcare system in your neighborhood, someone has to go and find an alternative and get that alternative tested and qualified and approved and make changes in their item master to the inventory systems. So there's a lot of churn that happens. And that's why, barring the major global pandemics and earthquakes and things like that, if you can still take any of those routine shortages and give them a couple weeks heads up, it can ensure that they don't run out of the product, that they have the product they need to deliver the care for the patient. And honestly, in all supply chains, that's the core of it, right? Right product, does, right yeah. time, right price. Does this level of visibility... Does it eliminate the problem in the past of hoarding of certain healthcare supplies that in hospitals squirreling away stock because the hospital or the physicians are not confident that they're going to be able to get enough product on a steady basis? So whereas it might appear to be a shortage, and on the contrary, you have this product, but it's kind of hidden away in these various places because you don't have the confidence that you're going to get inventory or the visibility to that inventory. Is that still a problem? Can that be solved by this technology? When you asked the question, I immediately smiled because internally, this is one of the debates. We're using this technology. It has a certain level of confidence, right, of accuracy inside it within a tolerance, though. And one of the things as we were developing, we said is, well, but if we go out broadly in a national forum and say, hey, everybody, this product might be short in two weeks. Well, it probably will be for exactly the reason that you had mm -hmm. folks go out and proactively buy extra and hoard. And that's exactly what we saw 
at the beginning of the pandemic when some of the PPE items go into its pipe. So, no. Does it solve for human behavior the need to, I'm going to try to take care of my own, protect my own institution, my own patients that I work for? No, it does not. What we try to do then is to make sure that there is that balance of the education of the information, but not so much that it ever causes a panic. And that's why before we ever would release information on that, we do all the groundwork we can first. Phone calls to the members. What are you seeing? Phone calls to the suppliers. Tell me about your production capability right now. Are you aware that we're seeing this inside the data to really try to eliminate any of the false positives that we can ahead of time? I think it's it's really critical when you have some powerful information like this. What about the very structure of the purchasing landscape in healthcare in in recent decade or even more we've seen the emergence of large hospital group purchasing organizations with more power to uh, assert over suppliers and I wonder if that also means more control I wonder if that's still going to happen going forward what does all that mean in terms of the way this healthcare supply chain is set up and how supply flows to its destination fantastic question bob for the listeners if you go back 20 years ago Healthcare supply chain, the hospital in your neighborhood would would go to service your family. If you take a look at that 20 years ago, high degree of fragmentation. Most hospitals operating independently, a very lean supply chain staff doing the best they could for the patients within the community they served. Over that time, to the point you raised, you've seen consolidation of healthcare providers, the emergence of large IDNs, integrated delivery networks that have come together. That has given, it's been a welcome addition, that has given the provider themselves diversification geographically, diversification of the services they've offered. It's helped them financially to survive. Healthcare delivery is not a high profit business. And it's given them more scale and leverage with the suppliers to be able to negotiate better pricing. You've seen the same sort of consolidation in healthcare group purchasing organizations, keeping pace with the maturity of our industry with the providers. And what you'll see now is that those group purchasing organizations working in concert with their members, with the healthcare providers themselves, the group purchasing organizations are able to invest for the benefit of all in things like the technologies we just discussed that an individual hospital in your neighborhood 20 years ago could never dream of being able to. So it has been an absolute benefit for the healthcare delivery in our, in our overall healthcare environment in general, both that consolidation of providers and the GPOs. Now, when it comes to leverage and suppliers, I'd like to say that one, if you do the math inside there, the largest healthcare system or the largest healthcare group purchasing organization still is very, very small when you compare it to the size, if you take a look at by revenue, of the largest med device companies, and the largest pharmacy companies. So while this scale is needed in order to wrest concessions from the suppliers and ensure great pricing for the members, there is still, it is very much a David and Goliath, and I'll throw the big payers, the insurers in there as well. The size of those organizations dwarf the size of their customers or the group purchasing organizations. So it is very much, we're fighting the good fight when the pandemic was happening and it was became international news. And I would say to somebody, what do you do? Well, I'm in healthcare supply chain. A lot of times the question I got is, well, are you on the good side or the bad side? <laughs> of it? And of course, I don't, I don't know that I agree with that question, but the fact is our role as a group person organization is to help our members have high quality, low cost healthcare and the scale helps. But again, the consolidation that's happening with suppliers 
uh, Namib Device and Pharma. They're very large global companies. And so, yeah, I just think that's important for folks to realize it is still a little bit of an unbalanced fight, if you will. Okay, it's obviously a work in progress. As we've said, it takes a while to make these necessary shifts. But do you believe that the way things stand today in the healthcare supply chain, are we in better shape now to weather the next emergency, and of course there'll always be another one, than we were before? Or is there still a lot of work to be done before we can put everything in order? There is no doubt in my mind that the healthcare supply chain in the United States today is better, more mature, has more capabilities than it did three years ago at the height of the pandemic. And it's also true, we're nowhere near done. We still have issues with some unhealthy markets where maybe one or two suppliers control 70 or 80% of the market share for a given product. And we generally label those unhealthy markets. And, and the problem with that, there was a very recent one that just came out. The product is probably less relevant for your members, but a surgical tourniquet. And the issue is when you have a high degree of concentration of the suppliers, the backup supplier, the number two or three market share, doesn't have the capacity should the number one guy go down. Again, for plant fire, strike, natural disaster, whatever the issue is, where you have that, and that exists in a large number of categories where we're too concentrated with a few suppliers, and if one of them goes down, the other ones can't handle the excess. They don't have the excess capacity to be able to do it. So that is one. And again, I can go on to others, but, that, but that's one of the ones that keeps me up at night. It really does, because it doesn't need to be a pandemic in that case. Again, it can be sort of a, one of the commonly occurring supply chain disruptions that, that happens. Mm -hmm. the, the second one is, and I can understand the reason for this if you're on the farm or the med device size, there's a reluctance to give and to share the transparency that's really needed to have a more resilient supply chain. What I mean is a manufacturer or a pharmacy distributor could have a concern that in revealing the transparency of their suppliers and their supply chain, they're giving away shop secrets. They're giving away confidential information. It can lead to a competitive disadvantage. And while I understand that, to solve for this, you have to be able to understand that full length of supply chain, and it exists in many, many other industries. So we've asked, uh, we're using our advocacy office to help the United States government come up with some reasonable proposals around device shortage reporting requirements, about pandemic preparedness, strengthening the national stockpile, boosting domestic manufacturing, incentivizing competitive and healthy markets. So we have a full agenda in Washington to try to get the government to help in here and solve a couple of these issues alongside of the providers and the GPOs to really ensure that we get to that next level of transparency, the next level of resiliency. And so much better than we were in 2019, still a long distance to go to where I'll be able to sleep easier at night knowing that you know, we won't have quite the level of supply chain issues we've had these last three years. All of us, yeah. David Hargraves of Premier, I want to thank you so much for your insights into the state of the healthcare supply chain. Lessons learned, improvements being made, and work yet to be done. Thank you so much for your time. Bob, it's my pleasure, and I really appreciate the opportunity to highlight these efforts. It's an important issue. We are all consumers of healthcare. So we should all be concerned that we've got a healthy supply chain and ensure that providers have the, the items they need to deliver care for those patients. So thank you, Bob, for the opportunity. That was my conversation with David Hargraves of Premier 
talking about the state of the healthcare supply chain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.